safer safe. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Research. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I'm Tom, and you're listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast, where we talk about all things related to sexual health. Though, not this week. The response to COVID-19 has impacted all areas of society, including the health workforce. I, along with many non-frontline healthcare workers, have been redeployed to the COVID-19 response. Many people from around the district have left their usual roles and are now located at the South East Sydney Local Health District Public Health Unit. So what does this redeployment mean and how does this response contribute to preventing the spread of the virus? To answer these questions, I'll be speaking with one of the COVID case managers, Gabby Rowland, a fellow contact manager, Maria Brown, and the manager of our contact tracing team here, Adam Capon, to discover more about the various roles involved in preventing new cases within the district, as well as discussing their thoughts on the government's new COVID safe app. My first guest is Gabby Rowlands. Welcome to the podcast, Gabby. Hi. So I'm the clinical nurse consultant at the public health unit in Southeast Sydney. So it's kind of been a team lead for all of my team members. And when we're following up notifiable diseases, and that includes COVID. I asked Gabby if she has been involved in any other outbreaks, which involved redeploying staff to the public health unit. No, this is, this is my first one. So we've, we are quite a busy public health, um, but we've never seen anything of this magnitude. I, I haven't worked through a pandemic and seen anything like this. It's, it, it has been full on, extremely. Gabby leads the team of case managers responding to COVID-19. She explains what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess in my team, so we're more the case managers. Um, So a bit of a background, what we do is you receive the notification from the lab or from a GP and that pretty much, you know, that's a document that says, you know, this is a confirmed case of COVID-19. We then call the case, uh, let them know that what the results are. Um, And then from there, we have an interview process where we need to get really important information so that one, we can identify how they picked it up and who they've transmitted it to. So that kind of starts with us finding out when they became symptomatic. So when did they become unwell or sick? Sort of were their symptoms and, you know, get a good idea about that. And from that, we know them when they were infectious. So then we can work through their movements and find out who they've had in con- contact with. Then we really dig in and see like how long were they in contact with them. And then we work out if they're close or casual contacts and we sort of categorize them that way. Then we go back 14 days before they became unwell and we really want to work out where did you get this? Sometimes that's really easy. So we know if they were overseas, it's a really good strong link depending on the country they were. If they in their house, maybe their mum or brother or someone else, a flatmate has it. Sometimes it's not as easy. And that's when we really need to start digging and working out those uh, community transmissions there. So that's our role. And the ways we minimize it is by really finding out who your contacts were and where you picked it up from. And from there, we know then that we can isolate everybody make sure that they're tested if they're symptomatic and we can stop the spread. Gabby and her team are doing some great detective work tracking down new cases. Though it isn't always easy. 
in public health, you, you don't see your accomplishments, uh, accomplishments straight away. You, you sometimes you have that feeling of, am I making a difference when you're in the, the, you know, the thick of it, you're working so many hours a day, you're not stopping. You just, you know, you almost feel like you're fighting through it. You, you have that feeling, have I done anything? And now that we can see that, you know, things are coming off for this period, we can look back and sort of see, look, I really did make a difference, but at that time you can't see it. And, you know, it is a lot different from when I used to work on the wards in the hospital. You know, if your patient deteriorates, you do everything you can for that patient and you watch that patient, you know, get better or you, you know, transfer that patient to ICU and you can follow them that way. You get that sense of I've done everything or the patient will turn around and hold your hand and say, thank you so much for helping me. You know, you've been amazing. You don't get that sort of in public health. You don't have someone, you know, grab your hand and say, thank you for everything you've done. So that's something hard. Um, I feel like, especially working in this pandemic, we're really making a difference. We're working, we're giving everything we have to fight this pandemic and stop the spread. Um, and that at the end of the day is a really good feeling, um, knowing that you've you know, we really have contributed. Our team has worked unbelievably hard, especially at the peak. Um, what we accomplished was is outstanding. You know, I'm really proud of us all. I asked Gabby about the new COVID Safe app and whether it would be helpful for her work. Um, look, I think it would be very helpful. Uh, it would help us have the confidence we've identified all of the contacts because we would have that backup. Um, there is times that, you know, when we're looking at community transmission, we have cases where we aren't able to find an epi link and an epi link means a source. So where we would be confident to say, yep, yeah, that's where he's picked it up. So this app might give us a little bit more insight to that. So we can help us, you know, really find those locally acquired transmissions and really map out your movements. A lot of what we do is we do rely on the case or the person with COVID's recollection um, and then openly disclosing where they've been. So if they can't remember um, or there's reasons they don't want to disclose, we'd have an app that would help us with that. Because bear in mind, when we're speaking to someone for the first time, they are very anxious, scared, you know, stops people from remembering and things like that. So this could potentially give us that extra sort of insight. Thanks, Gabby. Once Gabby's case management team have identified the contacts, these are then handed over to the contact managers. I'm joined by Maria Brown to find out more about how this is done. So contact management is identifying um, who has come into contact with someone who's tested positive for COVID-19 and advising them that they need to isolate. So anyone that we come into contact, we provide them with information around their isolation dates. And that's quite key around their isolation dates because of the incubation period around COVID-19, um, the symptoms that they need to watch out for and where they may need to go for testing if they are starting to develop symptoms. So it's important for the prevention of COVID-19 and this is due to people being told to isolate at home. It slows the transmission um, of the virus from person to person um, as they shouldn't be coming into contact with anyone or generally leaving their house. So what that means is 
unfortunately that person does need to isolate to a single room if possible um so if they're lucky enough to have um their own bedroom and with own tv that generally helps and bathroom too so one of the key tips we generally give people when they do have to go into isolation is that they if they are sharing any kind of a common area that they need to wear a face mask and wipe down any surfaces um including the taps the button that you would use to flush a toilet and the fridge door is a big one. So yeah, generally making sure that you're disinfecting those areas so that you're not transmitting the virus if you um, do have it to the members of your household. I asked Maria what it has been like telling people that they've come in contact with COVID-19. So far, the response is generally quite good. something that has been quite awesome for us is the fact that people that do test positive they very kindly do and get in contact with people that they've come into contact with during their um their period where they're infectious um so what that means is they already have the heads up so when they hear from me um they, they know um and then it's just giving them the information that they need um around their isolation dates and really hammering home how important it is for them to isolate nine times out of ten you get a very happy person that's more than happy to you know take your advice um i have unfortunately had a couple of disgruntled people but again that could come out of fear um you know of the unknown given this is brand new to us all and generally the younger crowd that we deal with um you can have a little bit of a laugh and a joke with them. There was uh, one young man that I spoke to and, you know, welcome any kind of questions on the phone that they may have. Um, and as time went on on the phone call, uh, as I'm ending the phone call, I generally say, do you have any more questions for me? And we were just having such great crack on the phone. Um, you know, he was cracking a few jokes and, you know, it really brightens up your day, given that, you know, it's it's not a great job having to ring people and tell them this news, even though they may know it. Um, so, yes, seeing the brighter side of things certainly help. And what are your thoughts on the new COVID Safe app? Oh, I'm very pro the COVID safe app. Um, look, I'm a, li- I'm a little bit skeptical of how of the technology in which it uses. And I think that's purely because I don't fully understand it. Um, but I believe from like a contact management perspective, it, it certainly lightened the load. My next guest is Adam Capon. He has been redeployed from his regular position to manage the COVID response here at the Public Health Unit. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. So my my regular role, I'm a senior research officer at Justice Health and Forensic Mental Health Network, and that's basically the the health arm that deals with um, providing health care for those people in custody. And prior to that, I was 15 years in Health Protection New South Wales, and they're the ones who, um, at the ministry level, would be dealing a lot with um, this the current COVID outbreak. Adam explains what the Public Health Unit does here in the South East Sydney Local Health District. The Public Health Unit provides public health services to its local area. Um, so unlike the more well-known health services, such as hospitals and GPs, the Public Health Unit works within the community with the aim of trying to keep people away from having to use those services. Now, if we do our job well enough, uh, you won't even notice us because we've stopped you from getting sick before you actually need to go to the hospital or, or your GP. To do this, um, we have a number of arms, and they are environmental health, communicable or infectious disease, immunisation and epidemiology. 
Now, I'm hoping that I can give you a COVID snapshot of, of, of what these, these all four sections try to do. So hopefully this comes off. Environmental health. So the origin of the SARS um, coronavirus 2 or the COVID virus, as, as we commonly kind of know it, um, is believed to have been by bats to humans, most likely through wet markets. Now, environmental health is aimed at preventing environmental factors that may lead to disease transmission. So in this case, if we have better animal, animal husbandry regulations or food preparation practices or, or, or the like, um, we may have been able to stop the jump from bats to humans. Communicable or infectious diseases, they mainly deal with more the human-to-human transmission, and this is kind of where we're at at the moment with COVID. We have highly skilled people who work with those who are infected, providing advice to them on how to limit any transmission of their disease. Uh, other examples of disease this team tackles with and they're tackling at the moment include things like measles, pertussis or whooping cough, and syphilis. Immunisation, that's the next arm. Now, you might have heard that we're not going to go back to a normal way of life until a vaccine is found. Now, this is the immunisation team. They basically are responsible for delivering vaccines to the local community to make the community immune from the disease. So... Um, what they're currently immunising the community for are things such as the human papillomavirus and pertussis, and hopefully we'll be needing these guys very soon. Overarching all these are the epidemiologists. These are the people who crunch the numbers um, and they basically study the patterns of disease and provide advice on how effective certain public health interventions have been. So when you're hearing numbers like the number of COVID cases and things like that, chances are the epidemiologists have had their hands all over that. The current COVID crisis has led to a redeployment of staff from across the district to the public health unit. I asked Adam how prepared the public health unit was for this. I think very well considering the enormity of the event. You know, we have highly skilled people in this area who have been preparing for something like this for a long time. Uh, in fact, almost 20 years ago, I was on a public health officer training program designed specifically to provide capacity to the system for such an event, uh, thus is why I'm here now. Um, as previously mentioned, um, we have a public health unit geared up to deal with um, these sort of issues, and I believe we've done very well thus far. Um, we've been able to draw on highly adaptable people from across um, South East Sydney networks, such as yourself, Tom, um, who have played a vital role in responding to this event. The problem comes about when the system gets swamped with an extraordinary number of cases, as we've seen in parts of Europe and the US, um, we can get overwhelmed just trying to track everyone down and isolating them. Uh, thank goodness this hasn't happened at the moment and it's not a problem. And fingers crossed it will stay that way. I asked Adam what he thinks will happen in the months ahead. If only I had a crystal ball. <laughs> People commonly asking me this question and I've been wrong every time. So um, I suppose eventually I've got to get it right. But look, I, I basically see there has to be a point where some restrictions are going to be released around social distancing. And depending on how well we have been able to eliminate it from the shores, whether, whether, whether we can actually ever eliminate it or whether we eliminate it from our shores, um, will depend on how quickly those, the release of those restrictions will lead to an increase in cases. Obviously, the quicker and faster we release the restrictions, there's, more, there's, there's a greater 
potential for there to be a, a larger increase in cases. So I can't see the, our COVID response team going away in any form until a vaccine's found. However, the makeup of our team moving on into the future will, will depend largely on how successful we are at being able to get it down to that elimination or how quickly or how slowly we reduce those restrictions. Prime Minister Scott Morrison recently had this to say about downloads of the COVID Safe app. Now I can report that 2.8 million downloads and registrations have taken place already for the app. And I thank those 2.8 million Australians for doing just that. And I'd ask for millions and millions and millions more to do the same thing. This is an important protection for a COVID safe Australia. I asked Adam to explain what actually happens with the information in the app. So I don't know whether the other guys have explained to you how the public health unit works to get to get the data in the in the first place. So maybe I might run you run you a little bit through. What happens is someone goes to go get a COVID test, maybe at a fever clinic or their GP. They get tested and then that goes to a lab. The lab gets the result. Now, because COVID is such a um, uh, such an important disease, that must be notified by law to the public health unit. So then, the the public health unit get the notification that Mr X or Mrs X is COVID positive. That then goes to our case managers, who then interview who then interview that person and then find out the contacts. And then those contacts come to my contact team for us to further explore and and follow that up. Now, what my understanding of what's happening with the COVID app is that when we get to the point of where it comes to the case manager, the case manager then asks the case, have you downloaded this app? If the answer is yes, the case manager then asks them to press a little banner at the bottom uh, and then through that banner, it allows the case to consent or not consent to download that data. So until the case then does that double second thing of pressing that consent, no data from the case will be put, will be accessible to me and my team until they give us that second consent. So there's always a safety, it seems like there's, there's a safety mechanism there for people. If you do consent to it, that data gets uploaded and then my team have the ability to access that data to, to then contact, then have the contact details of your close contacts who have been with you, who've been in close contact, to then be able to contact them and let them know that they need to self-isolate. understanding, and it's only from what I've been hearing in the media, is that um, the government is wanting to relax, relax the restrictions if people download this app. So I think this app, is it, it's about um, cost benefit or, or a trade-off. So you download the app and the government is more likely to consider reducing restrictions or you don't download the app and then you have and then you know the restrictions stay on for longer um and that choice is yours we live in a democratic society so that choice is yours but but it will be you know that 40 percent thing that um the 40 percent download the target that's what they're looking at and that's my understanding if we get to that point then society as a whole has voted that it that it wants to adopt that that this approach thanks adam 
This has been a special COVID-19 edition of the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast. We'll return to our regular sexual health-focused content next time. To stay up to date with the latest sexual health info, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.